Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. I am Sean, your host. If you've listened before, welcome back. If this is your first time, hello, I'm glad you're here. This conversation with Evan, which is obviously what you're here for, was brilliant. It was so nice to catch up with Evan and just to hear how fruitful this year has been musically for him going in and going into next year, um, despite being like, you know, what this year has been like. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant conversation. Um, 2020, I guess this is the last podcast of the year. The podcast I did before this was a bonus episode where I went through my top 10 favourite records of the year with my good friend T. Give that a listen maybe, hear some new records that you haven't heard before. Um, And alongside that, this year I started the Culture Fear radio show, which has been really, really fun and was something that was really, 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 really great for me. Um, over the lockdown really it really put a certain kind of you need to do this this week situation on me which I needed and it's been great and I've listened there's just been so many great records this year and it's been great being able to talk about them and play them on this little radio show that I've been putting together as for Culture Fear the podcast I've had some incredible conversations you know I've cried in one I've spoken to people I've never met before, which is was a new first thing. Before this year, I'd never done a culture fear, not in person. So that's been new. And yeah, I've had some incredible conversations. And have a look through, I guess, if that's what you want to do. But yeah, thank you for sticking with culture fear this year. Um, it's been really, 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 really great for me. I just enjoy it so much. And when I hear that other people are getting something from it, that is the cherry on the top of a beautiful cake. But yeah, 2020, it's been a strange year. Um, look out for your friends over this festive period. It's going to be really, really, really difficult for a lot of people. So yeah, just check in with the people you love. Tell them that you love them. And that's all I can really say. But yeah, enjoy this conversation that I have with Evan. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having it. Take care of yourself. Take care of your loved ones. Cheers. Hey, Evan, how are you? <laughs> I'm well, Sean. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, thank you. We were like, um, we were just about to like really get into it, like socioeconomic, uh, you know, storytelling about the United States and England, and you know, we probably would have talked for like an hour before recording anything if I didn't if we didn't talk about recording. So, um, so welcome everybody to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess maybe we'll yeah maybe we'll get there with this um. Because uh, one thing I have thought about talking to you about is your relationships with like different cities that you've like li- or places that you've lived in. But uh, I guess we don't need to get there just yet. But um, yeah, how how have it, like you released? You've like into it over. It's like been back in like a, a big way. I'm sure, especially in your life this year. But like it's got to be a completely different into it over it. 
than well, ever before, right? Yeah, I mean, so we, you know, I I'd, I'd taken a break in twenty uh, seven, early twenty seventeen. So like, I think I saw you, and then not even like two months later, we we kind of called it off for a while. And I think it was just a a moment, you know, the we kind of blame a lot of it on Trump winning the election and that kind of being like a wake up call to the four of us. I think we were all in our thirties and uninsured and just like living pretty irresponsibly, knowing that you know you could just like sense that something really bad was going to happen. And it maybe was maybe wasn't going to happen right away, but like we had to be kind of like lay the groundwork for adult preparedness then. And um and you know what, man, I, I hate I, I'm so happy that I that we were right. I also just like hate that we were right. I so hate that we were right. And uh because now it's 2020 and and you know, we're all looking back, all four of us are looking back and it's like, man, we really made the right decision. You know, like we it was a really good time to kind of step back for a while and kind of readjust and figure out some direction. <clears throat> but so, you know, I'd kind of put it to bed and and uh, you know, I just, we just toured ourselves to death. And and I think that was a, a big part of just needing to kind of reevaluate our relationships with music. And, and, um, but this year, you know, we, my friend Adam and I, who's the new drummer of the band, we've been working on this record for years, like two years, three years. And for a while, I didn't even know if we'd ever record it. It didn't really feel like a, uh, you know, it, it felt like a fun exercise to do, but there wasn't any path or direction. There was no record label contract. There was no um, touring aspiration. So I wasn't like living under the thumb of anybody. And that was felt really good to me. It's just like to be creative again for the sake of being creative. Yeah. We recorded this record last year and it was finished last November. Okay. And, uh, and so like, so for, you know, figures been done, like mastered, mixed and mastered the artwork was already like over a year ago. And we, <laughs> we basically, we were planning on releasing it in June. That was the original plan. And then COVID hit. And then, uh, you know, this discourse, this like us discourse hit like shortly thereafter. And so we moved everything out to September. And, um, you know, also, you know, because of COVID-19 plants were like vinyl pressing plants were shut down and, uh, you know, there was massive delays and and we actually had to get the record shipped here by boat, which took like four months, (laughs) you know, saved us a lot of money, but we had to get a boat to bring all the vinyl over here. So it actually like wound up taking just about that long anyway. Um, but you know, I was, I was chatting with my buddy, Matt about this the other night and it's like, you know, releasing music in 2020 is so unbelievably weird. The, uh, but the, the system that's in place now, which is one that all of us have to participate in because there's no other choice to do it safely is actually one that really suits me. And so, um, and not just suits me, but like suits my colleagues as well. Like, like my, like collaborators, because we're all older now and we're not looking to, you know, live on the road full time anymore. And and we, you know, we built a studio here and also the studio that we built is in the same building as a vinyl pressing plant. And, uh, you know, we've had these jobs where we're working, you know, I work for a company called Reverb and Adam, who's the drummer in Intuit over, it works for sure microphones. And, you know, like we have these kind of like industry connections too. So it's like, there's this ability to kind of develop and build creatively what we want on our own time, in our own terms, in our own space, and uh, really kind of take ownership of everything again. 
And so it's actually created this environment where um, the, every band that I'm in and was in is active currently. Even bands from when I was like a teenager are like talking again and like working on how we can, uh, you know, maybe reissue a record or, or um, you know, maybe write remotely, like try to like bring something back or, or just talk about the creative process again, which has been really, really exciting. And uh, so there's like dozens of projects that are all moving at the same time and everyone's motivated to work on them because everybody's stuck inside. And so we're all just kind of like, well, what are we going to do? Oh, this is something fun I can put my, my energy into. And so I've never been more active in music as I am now. <laughs> and it only took, you know, maybe 15 years to get there. Um, but I feel more motivated and busy and excited about it than I ever did when I was touring full time. And, um, so it's been a, it's been a really, really cool kind of silver lining to the, you know, I don't, I don't obviously don't wish that there was a pandemic and I don't wish that the whole world was disrupted and that people were being hurt. And, um, but you know, what is it? Um, what's the, what's the quote is the mother of all mention? Uh, um, Come on, you're gonna edit this, right? <laughs> well, I don't. I, I'm not sure what the quote is, but to me, yeah. that you know, this year, I think like the lucky ones of us have been able to find those things that have helped us through this year. And like for some people, that seems to be whether it's like running for some people, and for you, it sounds like, and a lot of your friends, fortunately, it has been like writing and playing music. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of all invention, which, you know, that's, that's the quote. And, um, you know, we've been put in a situation where we had to get creative and we had to roll out a record in a way where you couldn't just tour on it. And we had to, um, come up with a way to keep fans engaged or people engaged that are different than we would have before. And so that stemmed things like our label Patreon and, um, stem things like us being able to film our own live sets and stem things like us be able to uh, just be working on records all the time. And so the, all of those things have just been, you know, we're also all past the point of knowing that like music's not going to be our, you know, none of us are going to get famous, you know? So it's like, it's not about what kind of successes we're going to see on a broader scale. It's just about satisfying our urge as creators and, um, understanding that we have a, a dedicated fan base and that we're able to provide for them, you know, and also, you know, it's kind of reciprocal, you know, like hopefully the art that we're creating helps people feel better in this difficult time and their, their support helps us continue to feel better that we can continue to create. So it's, uh, it's, it's more democratic. That's amazing. Definitely. And that's personal successes, isn't it? When you say like, yeah, I think it's that really like, like you say a bit older you're like understanding what you want even more so from into over it right now and that's where you kind of start to become aware of what your own per what you deem as what is a success for you yeah yeah i mean well because well, you know there was five ten years ago or five eight years ago there was like these delusions of grandeur that we were going to be this huge fucking band and you you listen to people who um you know are taking percentages of your money and they tell you like you're gonna be the blah 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 and like you should be you know getting this and that and the other thing and it's like and they convince you of that shit you know and, and you begin to think like yeah I'm, I, I'm owed this for my art you know and 
like five years ago and I stopped. It was like, oh yeah, the world doesn't owe you shit. <laughs> you don't you aren't owed anything. What, what kind of terrible opinion was that to have? And uh, I, you know, it's, it's just been a lot of self-realization and like what my definition of success is and, and um, you know, and not trying to listen to what other people's definitions of success are for me, because that's not, like I was do, saying yes to things and doing things and, and um, taking part in, you know, whether it was playing certain festivals or, or doing certain interviews with certain publications or like, you know, press cycle bullshit that just like is not like, I can't think of anything I hate more than doing a press cycle. That is like, it's just so fucking frustrating. Like having to tell the story of your band to people who don't understand what you do at all over and over and over and over again. And on the hope that like, well, so-and-so will write such and such a thing. And then I'll be able to get even more popular than I am right now, which is just like, yeah, I guess there's some truth to that, but it's like, that's not, it's not fun. You know, having to like re-explain yourself over and over again. So, or like validate, try to validate your own art. I don't know if I'm making any sense. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's just, one of my least favorite things to do. And I'm so glad that there wasn't so much of that this go round, like having to like meet with somebody at billboard and like talk about why, try to like convince them why into it over. It's cool. That's like, I don't need to do that shit. <laughs> it's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess with like, from me, this is like my perception of course of like into over it, but it seemed like you as a person was like into it over it as but then obviously there was the band as well. It was like interesting to see how things like change with that and stuff. But like when you're saying yes to doing things with into it over it, that you're like, ah, okay, like I'll do that because that's what you want me to do. And I'll do this over here because that's what I want to do. And like I as into it over it and as Evan, like, but was that ever difficult when you were like putting, I feel like you as a person, your personality, was so much of what people connected with, with Into It Over It. And then at times, away from what people connect to in a, like listening to your music or like seeing your, your, you play music was just like not Evan at all. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does. <laughs> I don't know if it does. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I mean, the, the thing is, is like you could very clearly tell what things, I thought, you know, I can look back on stuff that I did or like, you know, photographs or just like, um, maybe like, inter like, yeah, like certain interviews I had done that were just like very, you could tell which ones were the ones that I really wanted to do and were the things that I thought were really important and I thought were cool versus the ones that were like, kind of like, you should do this because maybe you'll get paid or something like that, you know? And there, I remember specifically there was one, there was an interview that I did uh, at this pizza place that's like right around the corner from where we live. It's called Boiler Room. And it was for this like Jack Daniels uh, fucking, you know, <laughs> like, inter like interview segment where like Jack Daniels was like interviewing some artists and you'd like sit and drink whiskey and you like talk to them about something. And it was all filmed on camera. So first of all, you're like, I'm in this restaurant that I'm in all the time and I'm sitting at this table in the back and there's like cameras around. And so I feel like a total fucking douchebag. And like, it's like, like, I just want to like sit and like talk to somebody and eat my pizza and be like, yeah, you know, like whatever to like explain the album or how we made it. But like, instead I'm like in this fucking, you know, it, it, it felt like some weird celebrity shit that I'm just like, not, and it's not celebrity. Like nobody saw it, but it's, it felt so fucking corny. I felt so stupid the whole time. And, um, 
but I think I did it because I got paid to be part of this, like, uh, this kind of like corporate press initiative that Jack Daniels had. And like in that moment, man, like I wasn't working. So like there were moments where I had to do things in order to pay my bills that were like questionable things that like, I, you know, like is the, is the me feeling like a douchebag for five minutes worth the, you know, $300 that can cover my electric and my gas that month. And you know, like, will anybody else even really think I'm a douchebag at all for doing this? Is it just me thinking, feeling like I'm a douchebag? You know, like I'd have to weigh these, these things in my mind in order to survive. And like survival is, is a real thing. Like if you are backed into a corner and need to live, like I would have outweighed, like I definitely outweighed feeling like a douchebag for five minutes to, uh, to not get a job. Like that was like the thing, like it's worth feeling like a douchebag for five minutes to not go out and apply for work right now. And so um, but that, you know, I look back on that and it sucks. That's <laughs> like, I, you know, that fucking blows. I, I would much rather be doing something like this where I'm like talking to an old friend about, about, you know, punk or, or politics or anything else, you know? And so, um, it's, uh, it was definitely frustrating. And I think now, you know, we're, I'm in a really good spot mentally and emotionally where we can just focus on the things that we want to do. And I can say no to shit. I don't have to, I, I've been offered things and I've been like, no, I don't really want to do that. You know, like it's, it feels so much, uh, I feel very Zen. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. 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 You're doing what you want to do. And that's, that's, that's so good to hear that you're at that place. Definitely. Um, because even when you're like, cause that's it, like that situation that you talked about, some people would be like, so stoked to be like, yeah, like Jack Daniels wants to talk to me and like all of this stuff. And it, for them, it would feel like, oh, cool, like I'm doing something that celebrities do and that would be a cool thing where yeah. like you find that like not cool. Uh, so I guess that's probably like a really cool place. If we if we go back to like you, like I remember you saying that like there was like you, when you went to school, you went, there was punks that went to your school. I remember like us chatting once and you said, oh, like Jared from Painted Black went to the same school as you. And like, yeah. they're obviously there. And then there was like, you, you were playing music as a teenager and stuff. Like what got you into like punk early doors, do you think? Or, or is, or is that not where that idea of not wanting to do things like that comes from? Um, well, you know, well, so first of all, you know, before you, before we move on, I have no disrespect for anybody that wants to fucking promote their bands however the fuck they want. You know, like, and like you're right. There's some people about that, like that Jack Daniels story specifically, or like other opportunities that would be really fucking pumped on that. And that's rad. I felt like a phony, you know? And so that's just me feeling that way. Like I never pictured myself in that kind of world. And I don't, I think once I got to levels of potential success that brought me into that world, I felt fake. And so, um, I, you know, that just makes me feel uncomfortable and, and, uh, kind of, it kind of felt surreal, but like in a bad way, you know, whereas like I, you know, have friends who are doing similar things and it's like, man, that's fucking awesome. You know, like when I see like code orange, like on the Grammys, like that looks so fucking cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's like, that is awesome. You know, I'm so proud of them, you know, but like, it's just not for me. So, um, Growing up and discovering punk was was a different thing. So I had a, a friend named Doug. Uh, Doug was a, he belonged to a church. Actually, he was like a he went to a church every week, 
And this same church would do a, um, every Friday they would do like a free show. And so, you know, Doug at the lunch table in the seventh grade was like, dude, you should come with me to like our, he knew I was into like grunge and, you know, um, like, I think I was like just kind of discovering ska, you know, like ska was kind of becoming like a big thing and, and was kind of getting into like heavier, um, you know, we like Deftones were really popular at the time. And, you know, I think I would, you know, had the first corn CD, you know, it's like, so I was into like subculture, like counterculture shit, but like, I hadn't totally discovered punk yet. And Doug, you know, we're like 11 and Doug's like, dude, you should come to my church on Fridays. Like we have shows every week and they're free. And like, you know, and so they, you'd go and every week would be like a different thing. There'd be like a ska show or, you know, a, a rock show or a hardcore show. And but we would just go every Friday because it was a free thing to do on a Friday night. And it was at a church. So our parents felt really comfortable dropping us off at this thing. So like our crew of friends would just assemble every Friday night and go to these shows and just watch whatever bands were playing. So this one night we go and um, the show was uh, this day forward, Nora trading places, I think. And like some local bands, some Jersey local bands, but like some bands that were also like on trust kill and like some like bigger hardcore labels and this day forward starts playing. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. (laughs) What is this? And so like, I walked up to the, they had like a little merch table, this uh, label called as one, which was like this New Jersey label. And there was just a series of cassettes and CDs and patches and like also, and zines, like, like written literature stuff. And, and, uh, and I had, think I had like 10 bucks in my pocket and it was like, what can this get me? Like, what should I get? if I really like this, like, what should I get? He's like, all right, well, you want to get that? You want to get this and maybe this. And I was like, okay, cool. And so got those few things, brought them home, like listen to them on my cassette tape, my cassette player religiously. And, uh, and then just kept going to the church and like, they started doing more and more like local, like kind of hardcore show stuff at the church. And I saw so many awesome bands there. And then that kind of bred out to like finding message boards and finding, you know, uh, getting show flyers to other shows. And then, you know, being able to convince my parents to take me to this place or this place or this place or that VFW or this record store or this thing. And then I, it was just like a downward spiral. And then I found uh sunny day real estate and it was game over. Like, <laughs> like you know, like at that point I was just like buying any CD that looks like diary or LP two at the used record store. And I found every band that I, and it was wild because I found all of these bands that I love still today organically. There was no like, you should listen to braid or you should listen to, uh, you know, mineral or any of that shit. Like I just went in and was like, you know, this CD looks like a, like what I would like, you know, and bought and serenading that way and then brought it home and put it in my CD player and was like, yep, this is, I love this, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, by the time I got to high school, you know, it was, uh, there was definitely kind of like a scene in our high school a little bit and it, and it kind of aged out when I entered like the people that were, punks that were like playing in bands were seniors when I was a freshman. But at that point, uh, the band that I was in the progress was like, uh, we'd been in a, we, everyone who was in the progress was in a, like we've been playing music together since the fifth grade. We just changed the name of the progress when we got to a freshman year of high school. And, um, and then we were that band through our high school years. And like, we were touring and putting out EPs and stuff like that. It's actually funny that this is coming up because we're about to reissue all the progress stuff this year on vinyl which we've never done. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But 
uh, but yeah, that was kind of the, the way it was like, we were playing in a band during our high school year. So we were involved and then, um, you know, just going to shows and, and doing research and, you know, I mean the same way that most young people do, right. You like get a mixtape from a friend or like you read the liner notes of the CD and you read which bands they think. And you were like, well, I got to buy that CD now. I want to look out for that band. I got to check that band out, you know, like all that kind of shit. Yeah, definitely. And there was, was there a little crew of you at school that were just all just like <laughs> yes. school and out where you just, so you're all just like, oh, I found this, listen to this. Oh, I found this. You can listen to this. Oh yeah, dude. Like CD, mix CD trading and like, oh. uh, like tape trading and stuff like that. We would do that all the time. And, um, you know, we were, we were actually right in that cut that cusp of, cause I, I went to, I started high school in 1999 and so like CDs and like CD burners were like just becoming a thing when I was a freshman. So like we were just past the tape era and yeah. pre the vinyl era, you know, so, or like the vinyl like re- renaissance, you know. And so we were just like handing mixed CDs back and forth. And I would have my little disc man. I would like walk around the, the hallways with my disc man on, you know, like have my, you know, baggy get up kid shirt and just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> Oh, that's so amazing. I remember like, yeah, getting these CDs and just trying so hard to get all of the songs before the cutoff of like whatever time. And then just trying to see if there was another short song I could fit at the end of this CD. Yeah. You you try to get like all 72 minutes, <laughs> which is like such an arbitrary number that they decided like CDs would be 72 minutes long. <laughs> amazing. And yeah, so the progress was like down to tour, like early doors as well then. Well, so we, we were, what was funny is, is the three of us were in the same, three of us were in the same grade. And then Eric, who is, um, Eric, who is our guitar player was Mike's, our singer's younger brother. And Eric was four years younger than the rest of us. So, you know, we were 15 in freshman year of high school, but Eric was, <laughs> you know, so Eric was in fifth grade. we were freshmen in high school. So like, we're trying to like get him to do stuff or get our parents to let him do stuff with us. And, uh, and when Mike got his driver's license at, uh, when we were juniors in high school, Eric was like just about to enter his freshman year. And that was when they started letting us go on the road. And so, um, you know, once we were like 18, 17, 18, that was when we could take Mike or take Eric without parental supervision. So, um, you know, we played a ton of shows throughout our high school years. They're all local. But then like the second we got, like I bought a van, I actually got a scholarship check to go to college from my high school for, for music. And they just handed me a check personalized to me. You know, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't give you a check to like go to your school or like wherever you were going. They're like, here's $3,500 to assist with your scholarship. And I was like, thank you. And they handed me this check and I, was, I went immediately to a used car lot and bought a van with it. <laughs> it was like within a week. And so they had like, it was like, yeah, man, this is talk about going to school. Like this is the school I want to go to, you know, subscribing to that. So thanks. You know, and, and uh, the second I got a van, we were gone, you know, like we did, we never did anything too long because we were in school, but like yeah. any summertime, any summertime touring or like winter break touring, that was when we'd be, that was when we would be on the road. And, um, and were you yeah. like bumping into the same bunch of like kids, the same kind of age as you? Because there must have been so many bands that tour over the summer during like winter break that and like where you were, like New Jersey, like that area. There's so it's just such a hive for for bands like the ones that you, the what the bands that you're seen, wasn't it? 
Well, I got to tell you, we this was this would have been two thousand and three, two thousand four, and we were doing a style of music that it was so interesting. We existed in this weird nebulous space where, like, that kind of nineties emo math rocky kind of sound was, you know, permeated through the late nineties and early two thousands had kind of stopped, and then there was this like kind of like pop emo thing that happened from like 2004 to 2008 and yeah and we did not fit in there we were like kind of punk and like kind of weird and you know and and just weren't like we didn't write songs like fallout boy or my count like any of that shit like we didn't we didn't subscribe to that so we'd get put on these shows that were like mostly like technical hardcore bands or or weird just weird shows that just didn't make sense for us but there weren't any other contemporaries that we would find on the road that sounded like we did. So when we did find a band that sounded like we did, we like really latched onto that. And um, there were a few, like we played with this band called a perfect kiss a lot. They were from Baltimore. Um, a few of their members went on to join this band age 16 years and years later. Um, we played with this band, little compass a lot who were um, from Texas. Danny, who was the drummer in little compass was later the drummer in like football, et cetera, and paper moons. Um, and then we linked up with these bands, Braille and Monday's Hero from Illinois. And, um, you know, years later, the, the guys from Monday's Hero were, uh, a couple of them were in the band Cut Teeth. And then um, Tim, who was in Braille, would, played in Into It Over It for a long time. So, um, but those were people we met when we were like 17, 18 years old. And just like trying to figure out how to tour and be in a band uh, went in an age that was like post record sales being popular and pre digital streaming being popular. So there was no like, there was no like super good way to get your band name out there because there was no like people didn't really understand what digital was yet. Like you'd hand people, uh, you know, I remember we had these cards that were like MP3 cards, so you could like download the record, and you'd hand that to people, and people kind of didn't know what that was yet. Like that wasn't (laughs) really like a thing, and and otherwise, like you people weren't really selling CDs anymore. You know, you're trying to like schlep your CDs, and it was like a fucking chore. You know. So it almost felt like if had we had the progress state a band for another like four years, I think we would have hit because that was when bands that kind of started bands that sounded like us started forming again and DIY touring became more viable again and digital streaming kind of allowed bands to get popular again. And so, or at least DIY bands to get popular again. So like, but you know, what happened was progress broke up in 2008 and then as like into it over, it was forming. And so into it over, it caught the wave of that because that was just an extension of what the progress was. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, we wax poetic a lot about that kind of thing. Like, had we just kept going for another few years, how, what would it, how would it have been different, you know, and, and where would we have stood in something like that? But, uh, you know, a lot of what ifs, you know? Yeah. So you, were you playing bass in the progress? Yes. But I wrote the songs with Eric on guitar. Okay, cool, cool. That's what I was going to say. Like, what was the writing situation? So was Into It Over It, like, did the progress stop? And you were like, well, it's, it doesn't mean I have to stop writing songs like this. Or was it, I kind of want to write stuff that's different, but then it wasn't as different as you thought it might have wanted it to be. Progress didn't officially stop. I like, I, uh, it was harder and harder to get them motivated. Like Mike had a full-time job and Jason was in college and then, um, he had gotten a physics degree in his undergrad and then went to Notre Dame for his master's to become a lawyer. And so 
he was like, Jason, our drummer, was just like on a professional path. He was like, yeah. you know, pursuing being adulthood really early on. And, um, and so it got to the point where I was like trying to motivate the gang to be like, let's go, let's, let's, you know, let's play shows, let's, let's write songs, let's do the thing. Like I was really like psyched to do it. And I couldn't get them motivated to do it. So eventually I was just like, well, I'm just going to start my own thing over here because I can't keep coming to y'all and, and being, you know, trying to pressure you into doing this thing that it doesn't really feel like you want to do. And then there's a song specifically on 52 weeks and it's like week 24 and it's called, uh, it's called gears and expensive. And that was me writing a song about wanting to break up the band. And, uh, that kind of broke up the band. That was, <laughs> and, and, but like the progress was a band until that song was written. And that was me kind of like putting my, like at that point I'd be like, Oh, there's a line in the song. It's like, I've written 24 more songs than you and I have written all year long. It's like, I'm doing all the shit over here and I'm trying to get you guys to do something, but it's like, I, I got to give up. I can't keep putting it in this energy when it's not being met, you know, reciprocally. <laughs> it's not being reciprocated. So, you know, I, I wrote that song and then we didn't talk for a long time. And, uh, and then, you know, eventually we kind of patched it up and, and in 2015 we played a reunion show um, and it was actually like the best show we'd ever played. And it was actually all spearheaded by the Wonder Years. The Wonder Years asked us to open their record release, like get back together and open their record release. And, um, and so we did. And, uh, but we played two shows for that reunite, you know, reuniting project. And it actually, yeah, wound up being like the best we'd ever been as a band. So I, I look back on it now. It's like, we got some closure. It, you know, we played the last show. It was great. And, um, you know, and it's been cool now, I think with the help of, you know, I shouldn't say with the help of COVID, but like, because of COVID, we've kind of found this opportunity to kind of regroup again and, you know, tell the story again. And, and, in a in a way that's even more, uh, definitive, you know, and put these records out. Yeah, for sure. Is there, um, have you been like mixing a rap, mixing some of the, like, is there, is it going to tell the story in like artwork or zine or anything like that? Has it been excited thinking, how are we going to put this package together? What's it going to say? Well, so it's, it's, uh, we're doing each, like, we're not doing a full discography, um, only because I, there's not enough money to do the full discography. So the way that we're doing it is releasing each release one at a time, which I actually know sounds like a little backwards. Like, wouldn't that cost more? And, uh, the answer is yes <laughs> over the long term, but like, I don't have enough advanced capital to, to do yeah. like a full like double LP. Um, so we're just going to put out the, you know, the, the LP, the EP, the seven inch, you know, like we're just going to do them kind of over the course of the year. And, uh, but what's really helped is the Patreon that we're running. So like, because of that, we're able to use that as a vehicle to, you know, put together, like we started recording podcast episodes of us just talking about the history of the band that we're going to release over there. And, um, and the artwork does have like a little bit of storytelling in it. It's kind of hard because a lot of it was, you know, well, dude, a lot of it was like 15 to 20 years ago. And yeah. it's like, how much, how much do you remember? Like, I don't, I don't remember anything. <laughs> it's like, I'm like looking back through photos and I'm just like, holy fuck, you know, we were so young. And, uh, and so it's been cool kind of like going through all the ephemera and like taking this walk down memory lane. I think, uh, the podcast would definitely be the best way to like collect on the story and get some insight. But um, I don't know. I think at this point it's like, we're, we're doing a lot of projects that are specifically set to these people who are subscribing to our, to our label work. And um, you know, and it's, and it's actually really awesome. We're able to 
produce these projects monthly and, and share them with these people who are really invested in what we're working on. And, um, and so that's been a lot of fun. And I think there is something to be said about, you know, delivering some really exclusive content to those people because they're investing in what we're doing. Definitely. That is so amazing to know that these are the people, you know, because I mean, you know, and I know, and I'm sure that everyone that listens to this podcast knows what it's like to be like so fucking nerdy about like this subculture and like things that you like love else yeah. people wouldn't be listening to this podcast or like, <laughs> and and especially like the people that are, so you just get to be like, cool. You're like nerdy about this. And it's not even just that you'll buy the record, which is like super cool. Like you want it all. And I'll give you it if you want it. And especially now that in a, you know, like you're saying in a year like this, that can facilitate having, it can facilitate so much. And that's amazing. Well, it's also just turned the music industry upside down. You know, like there's no, there's no room for, uh, well, I mean, I guess there is room to, to be cryptic, you know, and to be like mysterious, but it's also like, what, why, <laughs> you know, like, like that's, you, you can't, you can't perform and people, uh, are willing and excited to participate in something that's intimate and beyond their reach, you know? And it's also like, it's humanized everybody in a way that maybe hadn't existed before because we're all in this crazy fucking situation together and we all have to live through it together and we're all coping with it in very similar ways. Cause we're all human beings. So it's like, you know, the, I feel like the humanization of it has really allowed at least me and, you know, my, my collaborating friends to understand that like, there's no reason to be, um, there's no reason to put it on a pedestal anymore. You know, like there's no reason to feel like we're, uh, we need to operate in secret. You know, people want to see how we're doing things. And I think it's important to share that. And, um, and maybe that's not for everybody, but like, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem worthwhile anymore to be like, like people, here's a really good example. I used to be super weird about giving away the tunings to Intuit Overt songs. <laughs> I wanted there to be like, I wanted there to be like some level of like secret sauce, you know, like I wanted it to feel like there is this thing that, you know, I hope people can try to figure it out on their own. And now these days it's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. You want to know how to play it? Here's how you play it. Like, <laughs> you know, like uh, there's no reason to be uptight about that kind of shit anymore. And and I think the bands that are really thriving now are the ones that are like really letting people into their process and letting people into their, their, uh, you know, into their world because people want to see that. And I think it's going to remain that way when touring resumes. And, you know, I think like when touring starts back up, it's going to be a totally different landscape. And I was mentioning this, uh, you know, with a conversation with a friend the other day that like, I think uh, pre-pandemic, a lot of the power was in the booking agent's hands. The booking agents wielded a lot of power. There's a lot of rooms, there's a lot of tours, but like, if you want to work with XYZ band that I represent, you also have to work with XYZ band that I represent. And promoters were kind of backed into a corner and having to do these deals where like, maybe they lose money on five or six shows to only to like make back all of their loss on one big show that was like the big touchstone show of the month or whatever. So now there's way less venues and there are a ton of bands looking to go on the road. And to me, that puts all of the power in the promoter's hands. The promoter can say, well, okay, well, I'm not going to do XYZ show. We don't have enough space and we're only going to pay you this much because you know, we don't need to take on the risk. We have plenty, we have, ex we have dozens of other tours we can take for this, for this situation. So like power is going to go back into the hands of the promoter. The touring industry is going to be flooded in a way that I don't think it's ever been 
ever seen before, but in a way that could also cannibalize the entire industry. So I think like, uh, and for me personally, well, two things, I think it's going to go back to the basement. I think there's gonna be a lot more DIY, which is going to be great. Um, it's going to be really exciting. It's going to kind of feel like, uh, 1997 and then 2010 and then you know like these eras specifically that felt really exciting and really really cool and like you were at the you were at the like forefront of like something that was about to boom um i think we're going to see a lot of that again um but then you know also i don't feel comfortable as an older artist you know somebody who's like i've you know twilight it's like my my best years are behind me in terms of like popularity and like (laughs) and i'm not and i'm also not trying to like i'm not a young band trying to save the world i'm not a young band trying to go up go out there and like tour religiously and it feels unfair for me as an artist to go and like clog that market that makes sense like i don't i don't i don't need to take away a show from a young band that's that's looking to like jumpstart their career i don't need to do that you know yeah, and that's I think that's that's great a place to be in yourself for as well to to be even be thinking about that, which is great. Yeah, because it's just going to be so flooded, you know. And it's like the, that space is like there. I've had a lot of experiences that I will remember for the rest of my life, and it's now the time for other people, younger people, and newer bands to go out and ha- also have those experiences. And if I was doing something that took that experience away from another band. That would suck, <laughs> you know, like it's not my place. And that doesn't mean we won't play shows. We will, but it's like, I'm not, I've, there's not going to be a world where we're like, you know, going out and really making a go of it in the same way that we did before. It's, it's just going to be completely different. We've, we've come up with a way to survive and create that is just under a new model. And I think a lot of other artists will also just continue that model instead of feeling pressured to go on the road. Yeah, and hopefully when you talk about how it's going to force promoters' hands, hopefully that won't be to the detriment of of certain bands that have, you know, boneheaded uh, booking agents with them. But I guess that's also up to the band talking amongst themselves, I guess, talking about how much ownership they're wanting to take and having those conversations. Yeah, I mean, they're going to take ownership over their careers again. In a way, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're going to like, abandon their booking agent or, or, you know, abandon promoter loyalty, which is also a thing. Like there are also promoters like that I really love. Like if I were going to play in Kingston, for example, like we'd be doing it at the Cox, you know, it's like, that's where I want to play. That's the, yeah. the team of people that have always taken care of, you know, it's like, I want, like, I want Max to be there. I want to walk in and see Max, you know, like that's, <laughs> and so, um, but you know, that's not to say that those things still won't exist, but I also think, you know, bands are going to start thinking more creatively about how they interact directly with their audience and maybe understand that like, it doesn't always just have to default to being on the road in order to find success because that's the default. That was always the default. Like no one ever thought creatively about this kind of shit before in a lot of ways, because we didn't have to, it was like, you put the record out, you go on your your press cycle, you go on your tour cycle, you come home, you write another record, you put your record out, you go on your press cycle, you go on your tour cycle. It's like the same, it's the same thing. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. So now like we're in this position where like, okay, fuck, everyone has to like, like there isn't that anymore. Even, even like putting out records is weird. 
So like, what are you, you going to do now? Like you gotta, you gotta get thoughtful about what you're doing and you have to interact directly with your audience. Otherwise they're going to find something else to be into, you know, like it's, uh, you know, everyone is so is, is worried about way bigger things than what bands they're listening to right now. Like a band, like a band. And it's, it's, it kind of goes to show in my mind, like how far some musicians have their heads up their asses or artists in general, really where they, they would think that like a, a fan's behavior um, revolves around the artist and not the other way around, you know, like, like there was that huge discourse about Spotify this week or two weeks ago. And, uh, and I was frustrated because I don't think it's the fans fault for how they consume music. You know, like I use Spotify. It's awesome. I find artists on there all the time. I agree that the pay model fucking sucks, but like we're all playing the game. You know, we're all participating and it's not, you know, and I could also argue that something like streaming services have helped me gain a fan base that I would have never had had it not existed. I mean, this goes back to the conversation about the progress. It's like I could sell a $10 CD to somebody in 2004 and that'll be the only $10 I could ever earn as a musician from that person buying that CD. They'll listen to that CD fucking 5 million times. I'd never know, you know, like I don't get, I don't see anything from that. Whereas like a streaming service is a constant, always on. It's a constant ability to to be credited for your music. So like, um, yeah, like thinking that like this kind of attitude that it's like the fans owe you this. It's like, no, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like they, it's a, it's a, it's a mutual, it's a two way street. You got to, they're, they're there to support you and you're there to help give them something to support. And that's how I feel about it. That, you know, I may, people may disagree with me on that. I do think that, uh, again, to my, to my point, I feel like it's just, it's not a fan's fault for how they consume your art. The, the system is broken, but it's not their, pro- it's not their problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, when we were talking through, you mentioned, um, you know, like 2010 being such a like creative time for bands that like definitely like took on like purposely took on like a DIY ethic and like pushed, pushed on with that. And I always think back to that time in an interesting way. Cause like 2010, I was 19 at the time and I was like, you know, seeing all these bands that I loved. And then if we skip, if we skip forward a few years, we're then like, uh, like maybe just say like by 2015, what I'm seeing is a lot of bad, a lot, a lot more bands are like deaf are like have their own booking agents and not their own. They are with booking agents and things like that. And was that, so you'd obviously been around playing a lot of shows before 2010, like you said, with the progress 2003, like when you look at 2010, was that an exciting time to be playing music so much as it was? Well, I mean, it felt, it felt like as a collect, and I wasn't even like one of the bigger artists in that. I was just a kind of along for the ride. It felt, it felt like a, uh, it felt like something really exciting was about to happen. There was there was a collective, a, like a, just a, a list of bands that were all somehow motivated and driven to do the same thing that all seemed to have formed around 2007, 2008, and like were just starting to hit their stride around 2010 to a point where like, I mean, dude, in Chicago, at least there was a show every, every almost every day, 
you know, it was like, you know, and it, and it was like the thing to do. It, was, it felt like, you know, it felt like being in at the church in middle school again. You know, it was just like, oh, are you going to this house to see so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to bounce over to fucking blah, blah, blah and catch better. Da, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and you could tell that all of these bands were going to be big. Like you could tell that all of them were really good and that all of them were really driven and that everyone was going to work really hard. And so everyone did that. And as a as a collection, we all got pretty popular, and then the it kind of got oversaturated, and uh, you know, and and I think like going back to an earlier point about survival, you know, like and and the cycle, it's uh, it's a little harder to, in my opinion, continue to make great art when it when making great art isn't your sole focus. And, um, and that's not to say that the records, the later records and the stuff that was happening in 2015 aren't good, but that wasn't everybody's sole focus anymore. The sole focus wasn't like we're in a band and it's fun and we're going to go do this thing because we love it and we need to. It was like, you know, all right, well, what's, what does our fall look like? Like, who are we bringing out on the road and blah, 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 blah. And like, it became way more business. And I think that kind of like just wore everybody out. You know, like it wasn't just into it over. It wasn't just us, you know, like I think there was kind of a collective sigh that that's what it had become, you know, and we all kind of look back on 2010, 2009 as this like salad days, like very glorious moment. Like when I think about the best era of Chicago, it's like that two year period where it's just like everyone was buds and everyone was having a good time and everyone was working really hard on something that was really important to them, but not because anybody thought we were going to get successful from it. Like, we used, we thought it was just a, an awesome thing to be a part of. It was really exciting. And so, um, you know, and as somebody who had management and a booking agent and, you know, it was, it was helpful as, as the growth began to happen because I wouldn't have been able to handle all of that on my own, but like my goals were different then. And it was kind of, I think everybody was a little curious to see how deep the rabbit hole went. And I think now in, in 2020, everybody knows how deep it was meant to go. And, uh, and now we're all just kind of finding the best parts of the rabbit hole to, to experience, like our favorite sections of the rabbit hole to hang out in. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I do think, I think there is a possibility. I feel that there is a possibility that that could happen again. And in a, in a way where us, uh, you know, the bands that were around in the 2010 time will recognize it and participate in it but maybe in a different way maybe as a, in a more like um as uh spectators you know we'd like because yeah. if that started happening in chicago again like you better believe i'd want to start going to shows again and you know participate but maybe not participate actively as a creator and participate more actively as yeah like somebody who's going to the to the shows and buying the records and supporting the supporting the bands you know um you yeah, know, because that culture should be like act as a guide to people who are coming up now, but also the landscape's totally different. So how, what would I know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that that like DIY culture, like quote, I think sh- should belong to the people getting into DIY culture. Like I think all the time, and maybe I'm just like this is just a daydream that I have to myself, and it's ludicrous. <laughs> but I think I can't wait until there's kids that are 18. Like I look at some people that you like, oh, I'm a, we're a DIY band or like, and they push their self a certain way. And I'm like, 
where's the 18 year olds calling them on their shit and saying, you're not fucking DIY. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I'm a 29 year old that like, yeah. like yeah, dude, I mean, I'm 36. So imagine how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just psyched that anybody's making anything right now, you know, and it's, you know, I was having a chat with my buddy David about it. It's like, you know, thank God music exists right now. Holy shit. Could you imagine? Like, I'm just excited. We're all alive to experience it. You know, it's like, that's when that's that's the primary concern how do we stay alive and not just like in a in a in a metaphorical like survival how am i going to pay my rent way but i mean that part of it too i guess but like how are we going to physically live when the entire world is trying to kill us and so any glimmer of hope any anything to be excited about i'm i'm into i'm down <laughs> sign me up you know like just finding silver linings and, 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 uh, and I don't want to say distractions, but just like things that can help. Like you, like you were saying earlier, like just finding moments that can help us cope with what's happening in the world. Yeah, definitely. I, um, did a, um, album of the year, like podcast with T, um, like wrap up that, um, I put out yesterday. So I was, and I was just thinking about how, and then like, I'd, guess i was just like getting a bit gushy or my, by myself just thinking about it and just just was just like you know music has given me so much for so long like longer than i could probably realize but from the age of 13 12 it's given me like everything and i'm sure it was around before then in a huge way but like from the age of like 12 that was when it really took hold of me and like every single you know whatever parameter of like year or 18 months or little era of what i was it was it all differed of how i like what i found greatest about music at that point and this year of course like i haven't i haven't like taken music in in the way that i have this year ever before but every single time it just gives so much and so much and so much to like me and to the people that i love it's just amazing oh and the records were good this year yes like real music was really good it like <laughs> It's just like shockingly good. You know, I felt like every every single band that did something new brought their or artists in general, every single artist that at least records that I heard of people that I was been longtime fans of just really brought their A game. And um, you know, and that's awesome. <laughs> and I'm excited to see kind of what, you know, like I've I've worked on of several records this year that are gonna come out next year, and I feel the same way. Like there's like the new pet sim record that's going to come out next year is easily the best thing we've ever done. And I like, and I'm so excited to share that with people and like, you know, started this new band with Adam uh, who drums an input over and and Tanner who uh, sang and you blew it. It's called couplet. And it's like, I'm so excited to share that record with people. And like, you know, there's uh, a new there, there, there record that we're like, we tracked all the basics for And it's like, we never got to do a full length. And it's like, I'm so excited to put that out next year. So there's, there's just, um, you know, people are really leaning back, I think, leaning back into why they started making art in the first place. And that's just going to bring so much cool shit. Like, it's really going <laughs> to like totally revitalize, uh, you know, at least music, I think, moving forward for the next like four to five years. And it might just stay that way. Like the quality may just continue, which is exciting. Um, I, I can't foresee another moment where like, the touring industry will collapse like this. And, uh, and it's just showed how volatile everything we were doing is in a way that like, 
kind of maybe might weed out the weak or weed out the people who like weren't participating for, you know, I don't want to say the wrong or right reasons, but like different, that's for sure. Different reasons. Yeah. Like you're not doing music to make millions of dollars anymore. You know, it's like you're doing music because you are driven by it. And that's not that anyone that I know is making millions of dollars, but (laughs) you're not doing music anymore to make thousands of dollars anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're not even doing it for the free beer every show. show. There's no more drink tickets. You got to buy your own beer now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, yeah, so people were making these records because they want to make you know, just mute loud. Oh, let's just make music together. And then that goes, let's record the music that we've made. You make a record and then, you know, a year, two years, however long down the line, if these musicians want to like play as these bands, then I'd imagine like you'd be able to tell me more about how the songs become something else. But then when people start singing those back to people, they take on a whole nother life. Like the songs that are written in 2020 are going to have such an, longer lifespan for the people that have written that that record than maybe there has been before yeah i agree you know it's it's also like really interesting too like writing music about this time you know like uh there there are some a couple of the newer pet symmetry songs are about are about 20 like quarantine they're about like real shit that happened this year and there was like some trepidation on my end about that like do you do you talk about that do you sing about that like is it kind of corny is it weird or like you know and, and kind of getting into my own head about it for a second and then you think about it, it's like well i mean this is quite literally like the most extraordinary circumstance that any generation maybe has ever lived lived through lived through maybe dating back until 1918 but there wasn't rock rock music in 1918 you know like there when when the last pandemic was happening and then beyond that, it's like, think about like the sixties or, uh, you know, like the seventies during Vietnam, it's like people were writing about what's happening socially. Yeah. And that's important. Like we need that as a thing to be a document of that moment. And so, you know, I got over that one really, really fast. It was kind of just like, yeah, boy, I need to sing about this. This is, you know, this is how we're all feeling. And this is how I'm feeling specifically. I have to talk about it. So, um, so that I think that'll be interesting too to see kind of band different artists' responses to the reality of now. <laughs> yeah, and when someone really relates to one of these songs that you've written, but not because of the pandemic, maybe in three years' time, someone will be like, "Oh, this song it really like resonates with me in this way," because you're writing feelings and people like, and that that'll be super interesting, won't it? If like obviously some songs are got, might be like super nail on their head, and it's always going to mean one thing. But like I'm sure that people have come up to you about like really personal songs to you when you wrote it, and you're like, oh, that really resonates with you. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, I mean that's proper, you know, for the most part. I mean, figure two, it's like those two records specifically are about very specific emotional moments, like. uh you know, and, and for people to find a connection with those songs specifically is like, is really, uh, warming in a lot of ways. You know, it's like, it just feels good that there's someone who can relate to that. Yeah. This was one thing that I actually wanted to talk to you about was of, so into over it when you used to, you'd come over to the UK, it seemed like every six months there'd be a UK tour and 
every single time when it would just be yourself and an acoustic guitar and you'd sit down and the more and more you came over, the more and more people really like started to like feel like they were part of these live shows to the point that I remember, remember that Kingston show where it's like, this is going to be like a, was it like a two hour set of into it, over it stories <laughs> with the songs. And yeah. into it, and then I was speaking to T last week and obviously T toured with you for five weeks over the whole of Europe, or maybe it was longer or, and yeah, it was a long tour. Yeah. yeah. And was, how was, so when you would, when you were solo and you'd talk about this song, this is what it meant. This is what I wrote this song about. This is how I felt at the time. This is how I feel looking back. How was it when you started playing full band and the new songs and the old songs you were talking about less? Was it, how was the relationship with those songs? Was it, uh, you know, that was a thing that I always wish that I'd, I'd approached differently. You know, I, I think I, I actually was, for a while, I think at the time was really interested in making the solo show and the full band show like their own experiences where like the full band show you'd go and you'd see, you'd just see us play the songs and we're just that, you know, and there'd be a little bit of storytelling, but it's just like, you know, who knows how many times the full band thing will happen. So like, we're just going to play as much as we can and fill this time slot because at any moment, you know, I'm not saying that I felt like the band was in a volatile position, but like ultimately when it came down to it, like, into it over it wasn't the band like if we were doing a tour full band it was like a thing it was like an event so especially in the uk because it costs so much to get over there so um you know whereas like the solo shows uh there was also a defined vibe for that and when you're up there alone you can't bounce you can't like balance the dead time off of someone else in the band you know like there can't be like a um you know josh to my right, creating these kind of like ambient things to carry us from song to song. It's just dead silence. So it's like, I'm going to just fill that with talking in order for it to not feel awkward. So, um, but I do wish, you know, and I think if we were going to do the band again, like if we brought the band back to Europe or, you know, next go round or like whenever things are safe again, um, I do want to incorporate that more. I think it's, I think it's something that is important and something that I, I think was a missed opportunity on my side to like balance like continue that thing that people really liked about the solo shows and add it to the full band, the full band uh, experience. And, um, you know, and I think I've actually got the right crew to do that now with, you know, like the new band lineup is, is much more uh, sociable and like not afraid to talk on the mic. You know, like that was the other thing, like gotchas weren't interested in like contributing and having there being this kind of like rapport, which is totally fine. Um, It wasn't up to them to, you know, like I can't force them to want to do that. And, um, and if they, and if they hear this and they felt differently, well, I sure wish I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and I think toward the end too, especially when that lineup of the band got really, really comfortable, it did kind of loosen up a little bit. And I would take these like long asides and like tell these long stories sometimes. And, and it was okay. You know, like they would, they would bounce stuff off of me. But like initially when it first got started, there was, there was, we weren't totally at that comfort level yet. And so now, you know, it's like I got someone like Adam who is, you know, totally down to get goofy and, you know, Joe, who's the new guitar player is the, the same way and Matt, who's, you know, awesome in there, they're there, but is playing bass is also the same way and everyone has a microphone because everybody's singing and so it's just like, there will be, I think, more opportunity to to let loose with it a little bit and I think that, you know, just the the full band version of Into It Over, it was so focused on just playing the shit right because <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> 
that, uh, that was another thing. It's like all of our focus was put into just like being able to play the shit. So like there wasn't any like moment to just loosen up and relax. It took like years to get to the point where we could relax. And, um, and so I think that's going to be the, that'll be a, a nice thoughtful goal for, for next time. Amazing. Amazing. That's so, that's really interesting. Um, I am gonna say that this is probably where we should be wrapping because okay. you have a full day ahead of you. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got, I've gotten you up somewhat early already. Um, so I don't want to steal your whole morning. Um, yeah. But what I will ask, which is probably a trickier, one of the trickier questions to ask you, um, would you, do you have, um, would you have to tell me the records that you've had come out this year or that should be coming out next year for people that are listening? Oh, of my own. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so we're reissuing, um, when is this airing? Uh, before I just say before the end of the year. Okay. So we're reissuing, uh, all the progress stuff this year or all through 2021. We're starting in December. We're reissuing merit, which was our last full length. Um, there's a seven inch flexi that we're doing for the holidays. That's, uh, going to be shipping with that for our Patreon subscribers. But also, uh, there should be like 50 copies available on the storm chasers web store. Um, the Patreon is going to be releasing something every single month for the foreseeable future. And whether that's a reissue or something new, or, uh, you know, there will always be something happening on that every single month. And especially if you live in the UK, it's 35 us dollars flat for new vinyl every single month and we're not tacking shipping onto that. So it's actually cheaper to sign up for the Patreon and get your vinyl every month, which is the rarest color variant anyway, than it would be to order it from a web store. (laughs) So um, keep that in mind. Uh, But the slots are limited. I think we're currently open at 175 for the monthly. There's plenty of quarterly spots that are still available. We do a quarterly release every, every quarter also. And um, but yeah, new pet symmetry, new there, there, new couplet. Those will all be next year. Um, those are like the, the, for sure, like not just limited to our Patreon releases. And, um, and I think we're going to start working on into it over at LP five next year also. So, um, there's a whole lot going on. We're, we're super, super busy. And if you want to be a part of it, come find us at, uh, at patreon.com slash into it over it. Sick. So sick. That is great. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Sean, appreciate you, my friend. I'm glad you're living well. Some chin wag that, eh? This song is called Cursey Greetings. It is by Into It Over It. It is from his record called Figure that came out this year. Enjoy. Catch you in 2021. Bye. Peace. Bye.